Welcome to Don't You Lie to Me. <laughs> okay, let's go. Don't you lie to me. I'm going to have another drink. Don't you lie to me. Explain that to the kids. Don't you lie to me. Okay, let's hear that story. Let's start interviewing. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Don't You Lie to Me. I'm your lovable host, Jeff Bell, and that guy over there is our producer, Warren Hicks. With this podcast, we're exploring the visual arts scene in North Carolina by bringing you interviews with artists and arts professionals throughout the state. If this is your first time listening, please check out our website, don'tyoulietome.com, for previous episodes, images of our guest work, links to their websites, art venues, and more. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at D-Y-L-T-M-N-C. In today's episode, we talk with artist and arts educator Lian Zhong. You can find out more at her website, that's L-I-E-N-T-R-U-O-N-G dot com, or at our website, which is don'tyoulietome.com. The following podcast contains adult language. Oh, I like that. Previously on Don't You Lie to Me. All right, let's do this. This is going to sound stupid. Did that sound stupid? I should learn how periods work. <laughs> My mom still makes fun of me. <laughs> Fuck you, mom. <laughs> I want to go outside. Your butt might get wet. Oh. That'd be amazing. Holy shit. It, it's, uh, or did you go outside? Of course. <clears throat> I'm always interested in how people get into a jock strap. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Stop looking at me. Way to go, Warren. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm pulling this out of my rear end. Butterflies, airplanes, insects. Dalmatian puppy. Yuck. That's going to kill you. It kind of freaked me out, to be honest. And we blew them up. That's exciting. Oh, these are also good. It was one of the most fun things I've ever seen. And it's just impossible to show it all. Shit. So I... I it's... it's maybe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've always heard people say, You make shit and you don't care. No way. Oh, yes. Um, but... Uh, uh, um... My syphilis is crazy. That's what my grandma used to say <laughs> a lot. I'm so glad this is public. <laughs> Um, people call me dickweed. Not perky enough. <laughs> <laughs> now I am... You're a smartass. What? Yeah, he's also a smartass. <laughs> Have we started recording, Mark? Hey, Leanne. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing good. We're super excited to have you here. Well, I'm excited for you to have me. Thank you so much. Warren's probably not smart enough, but I think I'm smart enough to know that you're a real good painter. <laughs> you're like my favoritest painter in the whole world. You are, you're really kind. You're really kind. And I also, I mean, coming from you, that, that means something because I know you see a lot of art. Uh, I don't know that that means much, but it's true. We're going to go way back. We're going to start like bio kind of stuff. Oh, okay. You come from California. Yeah. Is that true? By ways of, yeah. Yeah, I come to North Carolina by ways of California. Uh-huh. You started out in California? You were born there? No, I was born in Vietnam. That's not true. <laughs> it is true. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, how old were you when you moved? I was two. Two? Yeah. Do you remember any of it? No. Mm-mm. No, yeah. 
Um, we yeah, we left in June of 1975. June of 1975. Mm-hmm. It was a special time. It was. It was the fall. Fall of Saigon. Yeah. Yeah. So and you moved to like San Francisco area. Yeah. So we um, we were in uh, a refugee camp for about three or four months. Um, and then we came to the mainland. We I, we entered through New York, and then we went to San Diego first. Um, and we stayed there for a couple of months, and my parents said that there were some... They left because, one, there was no real community of Vietnamese refugees there, and then mm-hmm. there were some very racist things that happened that they actually don't like to really talk about. Oh, wow. And so then we went up to the Bay Area where we happened to have a lot of extended family there, and so that's where we stayed. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And did they speak English at all? Yeah, yeah, they actually did. Like my um, my mom, actually, when she was younger, I think she was 30. When she was 30, she actually came to the States for a year. Oh, wow. So both my parents, they're older, and they were actually, um, they lived in Vietnam during... Uh, basically French colonialization, and so they learned French um, and Vietnamese, and then she learned enough English in school, and then when she, when she came to the States, she, um, you know, she spoke it pretty well. So she actually had a heads up. My father didn't speak it as well, mm-hmm. but he's an avid reader, so when he came here, um, he he read a lot, so he, you know, he's a very prolific reader, and he he speaks it fine now. Of course, he's been here for a really long time, right. so, Yeah. And so did you live in San Francisco up all through high school? Yeah. Well, we it was um, in the South Bay. So San Jose has a really big Vietnamese population, but we live in Santa Clara, which is right next to it. Did you go to the Mystery House, the Winchester Mystery House? Can you House? believe it? So, so I haven't. What? I know. Like, like all of these things, all of these things that people do, like that mm-hmm. are like kind of more touristy things. Yeah. Like I've never been there. And I've never been to Alcatraz. Really? <laughs> I know. I've done both of those things. I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's because you're not a native California. Like, <laughs> That's probably you're probably why. just like, that place is dumb. I'm not going No, there. I have wanted to go. It's like I feel kind of stupid I haven't. <laughs> so what, what's art all about? What's why, art? Why'd you start making art? Why oh would you gosh. do that? Okay, there's a couple things. So when I was, you know, I was the youngest of three. My parents, of course, were refugees. They had to work a whole lot. And so we were latchkey kids. And so I do remember Bob Ross. Mm. keeping me company a lot when I was like yeah. at the ripe age of four and five. But then when I was 14, um, I remember my mother. So I have like two very genius older siblings. And I was sort of like the reckless like one that was really hyper. And I, when I was 14, my mother had had enough of it. And she signed me up for an oil painting class so just to keep me occupied. It was never meant to, you know, for me to go into as a career because, right. of course, that's not very logical. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I blame her, and and I mm-hmm. blamed her recently, and I, I thanked her, and she didn't really know how to respond to that. I blame you for everything I've done. <laughs> That's right. I know. I love it. Yeah, no, I, I rebelled at first, but then I loved it. Um, and so I did that for four years, mm-hmm. and I went into environmental science for college, and then after two and a half years, I decided I didn't love science. Um, yeah. And then I, I took two and a half years off, and then I went back as an art major. What did you do during two and a half years of nothing? I was, you know, like, I think like most people who, who go into art, I was, I was really lost from at a very young age. I think I always felt very optimistic, sort of like the world was at the end of my fingertips. I could do whatever I wanted. And then after two and a half years of college, you know, in science, like I really enjoyed it and I was good at it, but I just realized I had no love for it. And I just like was lost. And so for two and a half years, I worked you know, odd jobs, um, just trying to find what I was supposed to do. Like, I, I just, 
Yeah, that's it was it was not it was sort of a dark time in my life, but eventually when, I found my way back. Were you painting when you were in science and that time off or what? You know, not regularly. I think I would like every now and then like draw something or paint something. Um, I did during that time take one painting class mm-hmm. in college, but you know, it was never you know it was never something I thought I I should do. And my family, I mean. They really wanted me not to do it for a career because, sure. of course, they wanted me to be able to feed myself. Right, that's important, kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, what was the moment when you said, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta do this"? And why would you do that? Well, I just realized that I would not, I wasn't going to go back to college um, unless I went back to art. And I think, like for the refugee family, like at least my family and a lot of families, you know, going to college was basically that's one of the things of why we came to America, right? Like my family, they would just throw everything they had into their kids, you know, they would work. And so they wanted to have a really good life. And so that's what cemented it. Was that a hard conversation? Like, hey, I'm going to go paint. (laughs) Well, no, they actually talked me out of it for two years. Well, no, wait, they talked me out of it twice, I think for maybe one year, like each semester. And I finally just did it without telling them. Hmm. And, um, And I knew it was the right decision. And where'd you go to school? I went to Humboldt State University Mm -hmm. um, for my undergrad, and then um, I went to Mills College for my MFA. And what what was were you painting the whole time? I was, yeah, I was, um, yeah, I was a painter. You know, but but it's interesting when when you know when you think about like these things that that kind of indicators that Mm -hmm. of like maybe what you're going to do. Like I remember when I was 12, this is really odd. I was thinking about, because I think people have asked me like, when did you know? People often ask artists that, right? Mm -hmm. When did you know you wanted to become an artist? And I think for me, um, because my family was so driven academia, the, the, the one thing I could say is like when I was 12, I remember... Like, I had this urge to move my mom's furniture around <laughs> just because it just didn't seem right. Like, huh. so I actually re- rearranged her living room furniture because right. I had this really, it was the first time I had this aesthetic opinion of what was right and what was wrong. Oh, that's cool. And she definitely did not like that. <laughs> she didn't keep it? No, no. She was pretty, she was pretty livid that I had moved her furniture around. But But it was nice, wasn't it? I, of course, believe it was very nice. <laughs> I believe that was the way it was supposed to be. Right. Yeah. But then I I, um, I got my degree. And I remember when I got my, my BA, my wonderful father, who was just so, he's, like, I admire him so much. I remember him coming to my graduation and him, like, after I walked, you know, he came up to me and he said, so that means you could get the job now? <laughs> and I, I looked at him like, absolutely not, Dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> This means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and he walked away, just like utterly confused and just like gave up, you know. Was, right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, I started out in history and did terribly. Oh. And at some point I said, I had taken a few art classes and I knew like, if I'm going to do something, this is what I can do and what yeah. I actually can get into. And I told my parents and they were like, I was like, this is going to be terrible. Yeah. But they kind of were like. Okay. With art thing. Yeah, and oh, and so amazing. they, I think they were scared. Like this guy's never going to get a job, but they were as supportive, supportive. as I could have ever thought. Yeah. It kind of freaked me out, to be honest. And look at you now. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's incredible what's happened. <laughs> um, is there any kind of artistic um, history in your family? Not like, at did, all. No, not even a little bit. Interesting. Talking about rearranging the furniture, like I, I built things nonstop. Like my father and my grandfather had wood shops in their backyard, mm-hmm. and so I spent all my time like 
making things. And now I equate it to like what I do now. But at the time I would never would have said like, I'm gearing up for an art career. You know, yeah, it was just yeah, like, I like yeah. making stuff. Isn't that amazing? And I think that's what makes it natural, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it feels it feels really connected yeah. when you think back on it. Yeah, you know. I mean, and do do your parents like they come to your shows now? Mm -hmm. and do they like remind you of like what you did when you were like seven? And do they, they kind of see that? When, well, when I was like six, uh -huh. I tried to build a Trans Am out of wood, and my mom still <laughs> makes fun of me <laughs> for that. That's like a car, right? It is, and so I have not explained this to her, but in my last show, I built a pedal car. Yeah. Yeah, and part it. of that was like, fuck you, mom. Oh I built God. a car well, out of wood. And she was there. I saw <laughs> she her. Was. I would never mention that to her, <laughs> and she'll never listen to this. But part of it, in my mind, I was like, you know, I'm going to build a car out of wood. I'm going to do that. <laughs> That's right. It's amazing. You're fulfilling your dream. It is. But yeah. now I'm done. I can now, shut now it down. Mm -hmm. I think what you build is actually probably more interesting than the Trans Am. I don't think I could build a Trans Am, but I could build whatever I built. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So you go to school and you're making paintings. Did you go right into graduate school after? No. Well, yeah, because I already took that two and a half years off. You right. know, I, I really think that people need, if you're going to make that jump, which I, I, I want to talk to you about how you made that jump too, like to grad school, if you're going to do it, I don't think it's for everyone. I do think you need to really think about what this means, you know? So normally with my students, I always tell them to take a break. Yeah. But I think because I already had taken that break inside of undergrad, like I was, I was ready. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I took eight years off before graduate yeah. school, and yeah. I because I knew I wasn't. I knew I always wanted to go, but I also felt like um, like I started out and I wanted to make sculpture, and then I hated the sculpture yeah. professor, and so I made paintings the whole time <laughs> yeah. until like the very end. I did an internship with a sculptor I liked, and so yeah. by the end I was kind of coming back to sculpture, but I didn't really know what I was doing. Like yeah. I didn't say like, "Oh, well, this is what I'm doing." Yeah, yeah. And so it took a long time for me to like say, "Okay, I feel like I kind of know." who I am as an mm -hmm. artist and what's important. Yeah. And I think I'm ready for graduate school. But a lot of people go straight in. And yeah. I do think that there, I mean, I think some people are ready for mm -hmm. that. I think there are some amazing artists that do that. Yeah. But I do think there's a benefit to like getting away from all that the voice is telling you things yeah, exactly. and trying to kind of, um, I think I think you definitely learn it in graduate school, but you have all these voices like saying this is what you should be doing or, or yeah. you may want to think about this. And at some point you have to slow down and find your own voice and also find what you recognize in other people's voices. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that person said this and that makes sense and that person said that, but maybe I, that doesn't mean as much. Yeah. And so I think it's probably good to have some conception of what's important to you before grad school and I think a lot of people don't yeah. no no it's really true and I think that that's kind of a dangerous it can be a really disheartening and dangerous experience for them you know afterwards because they're not right. so rooted in right. their, their kind of identity or like what they want to focus on right and I, I mean I do think it's really important to kind of be open and flexible right in grad school but there's right. something about just owning yourself and your work right yeah. Do you do you feel like grad school was like an extension of undergrad, or did you change no. a lot? Or well, no. I mean, I think that the what to, to the credit of Humboldt State University, I was part of this amazing program called the Honors Painting Program, and my professors, Leslie Price and Teresa Stanley, like they this program was almost like a pre grad, um, like where. You know, you applied through a portfolio and you got in, and if you got in, you got a studio space, and then you basically had critiques once a week. You oh know? wow a group critique with all of the honors painting students. So, you know, that time was very, it's like, you know, you you had to independently make your own studio practice. You had to do your own research. You had to be, 
diligent, right, mm-hmm. and disciplined, and the critiques were also really heavy. And so I think that for me, um, it was, you know, it was an amazing experience, and it kind of felt like going into grad school was really natural, whereas I think some of my peers in grad school didn't have that experience, and I saw some of them flounder, you know. Right. But But I also would say that for me, going to grad school was about – recognizing that I wanted like a more disciplined peer group. Like I just was ready for the next step. Right. You know? Yeah. That, that makes me think two of my, um, uh, professors in graduate school, Andy Dunnell and Billy Lee were from England and they Mm -hmm. went to undergrad there and they talk about showing up as freshmen and being like in an environment where you're doing group critiques with everybody, the professors and all the older students like immediately. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's like, that would be really shocking, but it would immediately yeah. like open you up to like yeah. that experience. And, yeah. and because I think, I think often it's either way too far one way or the other, like mm-hmm. there's not enough legitimate criticism early on for students yeah. or it's way too heavy and then they're, they get freaked out. So it's yeah. a hard, hard thing to do. Yeah. It how is. is it, how is it when you teach? Like how hard is mm-hmm. it to like, to, to sort of think about the feelings of someone that's never uh, yeah, experienced yeah. that kind of feedback about their work. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like for me, um, I actually love teaching, you know, students um, also from the beginning because I feel that from the beginning I always, you know, there's so much. And, and like I actually love the painting medium and I love the kind of the tumultuous and complicated history of painting, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I teach beginning, there's just so much, you know, process and experiential nature to go through. But then also, I think from the very beginning, I am talking one-on-one to them and in group critiques, you know, about the, you know, about the ability to think critically and what that means, you know? And so I think that when I have them from, from the beginning, like in some ways I'm able to cultivate that. I have had times where I, um, you know, let's say maybe with grad students or with students who haven't had me and I'm just meeting them for the first time. There's also this trust that students build throughout with a professor throughout time, right? So, you know, I think one of the things that I really love about teaching is it does, and in some ways I think it does make you a better person because you have to really think about things like ego and not, I mean, in some ways my own ego, but also the ego of the students. But I, you know, in a way to talk to them about it and make them understand that I'm, you know, here for their work, but that also includes thinking critically. And mm-hmm. and the delivery is difficult sometimes, but I am one that believes in not abstaining from it, you know, and I think that for me, that I, that was my experience early on, and I'm sure it was for you, and that's kind of what helps us, you know, become better artists. And also, as you know, like being an artist is tough. I mean, it's like it you is. have to be able to to just feel committed to be committed to your practice right. no matter what, right? right. And, and know that, that your commitment comes from inside and not from really external external rewards in some ways. I mean, external rewards are also important, but... Right. Yeah. Now, I, I remember being an undergrad and there was a, a painter who was really very good and yeah. all the teachers sort of loved this artist mm-hmm. and kind of let him do whatever he wanted in every setting. And in hindsight, I think... They should have given some like feed, some more feedback. Mm-hmm. They should have been more critical, and it would have pushed him to kind of explore more. Yeah. Whereas I think he just got all these sort of accolades and mm-hmm. assurance of yeah. what he's doing is 
the very best yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And it, in hindsight, I think it, I don't know that that was positive. Yeah. That was a good thing. Well, you know, it's, and it's interesting. I wonder if that's kind of generational because like, well, number one, like I think just with my upbringing with my parents, like there's something about generationally and maybe even culturally the way like rewards are given. So my parents would never say, you've done a great job. Like throughout my life, like that was never, like they've never acknowledged any kind of, you know, success on my part. Like, mm-hmm. but they've never, like, I know that they're there for me, right? Don't they know how important you are? <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there, I'm an important child to them and that's the most important thing. Right. <laughs> you know, I think also for me, for teaching, I actually don't give that. I mean, I will talk to a student about like the things that are working in their work and the things that maybe they need to work on, you know, or, you know, talk to them about the context of the work. Right. But, but it is interesting because I think that for me that the support that I give them is, is not by giving them accolades, but is by really mentally and emotionally, intellectually investing in their work and Mm -hmm. giving them that feedback. Right. So I should mention, because I didn't, that you're a professor at UNC in the art department. Does what you teach change, or do you try to stay fairly similar in Uh, each semester? Well, so, you know, um, the UNC, I mean, what what attracted me to UNC as art department is that, um, well, first of all, the work of my colleagues are very, you know, a lot of them are working with very social and political work that I think is really meaningful mm-hmm. with, within our history and with, with what's happening um, socially and, contempor- and contemporarily. You know, I think the way it works with, with most of us is we work within mediums for undergraduate. Like, so I teach painting, you know, my um, colleagues, Sabine and Hongan, they will teach a video, you know, and animation and things like that. But then when it comes to the grad program, we work interdisciplinarily. So right. we work on committees of grad students that are working with painting, you know, with video, with, so I'm on a committee of someone who's working in photography. And, you know, are you allowed so, to do that? Yes. <laughs> And like, and I actually think that for me, I don't know about your grad school, but for me, that was one of the things I loved about my grad school. Like I taught, I chose an interdisciplinary program. So even Mm -hmm. though I went, I almost came out even a more hardcore painter. Like I thought I was going to do more interdisciplinary things. Um, It was really, I really cemented myself as a painter, but it still, it really enabled me to be able to think across boundaries. And I think if I, if you just, if one just immerses themselves in their artistic practice, like right. that kind of fluidity, really crosses around, you know, through mediums. It you does. Know? Yeah. Um, like on my thesis committee, I had two sculptors, but probably the oh, okay. loudest voice was a painter. Oh, like, really? Uh, a woman that I super well, respect. Was it Barbara Campbell Thomas? N- no, but oh. I love I love her. Good okay. gracious, she's good. Yeah. Uh, her name is Miriam Stephan. Oh, and I've met she's her. She's a really good painter, mm-hmm. and also. The most sort of intuitive person I've ever seen as far as like looking at work and really being able to sort of um, critically identify what you're trying to get out and maybe ways you can go in different directions. So she was she was tough, but she was probably the best. Like I knew I wanted tough people, but I also knew I didn't want it to be Mm -hmm. a purely sort of sculptural discussion of of sculptural sort of um, like shop talk. Yeah, I didn't want it to just be that I wanted to be you know, more about mm-hmm. sort of general feedback yeah. and that sort of thing. You know, I think just one thing about the painting process, it's so, it's just so intuitive. I think painting, even if it's rooted in intellectual, like research and everything, there's something about being in front of a painting mm-hmm. and like dealing with the process. And I think that it kind of makes sense that that's cultivated. I'm I'm thinking about that because yeah. I, well I mean I I, well, I agree you, yeah. I agree because but I also um, and I think sometimes painting more than anything is 
and I've talked about it a lot, is there's this almost necessary respect mm-hmm. or under, I don't know if respect's the right word, but understanding of the history of painting. Oh, Be- yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I see that in your work, mm-hmm. an acknowledgement, but also kind of working against it, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it, that, that's what it totally is. But it's also, um, I mean, I think you love paint, the material. I do love paint. That's yeah, I mean, right. I think anybody that yeah. uses paint like you do is 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 hardcore about materials and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Would you ever use acrylic? I do. I have used acrylic. You do? Yeah, that, yeah, I would, yeah. I would, I would, I would have yeah. never thought that. No, no, I have. Um, and, I, and I have in the past, and I think some of my work that I did in 2015, I did use some acrylic. Huh. I actually love it. I actually love acrylic. I think that for me, I have blended with acrylic, but I think that there's such a sometimes when I'm working intuitively and I have to make this, these decisions about like gesture and stuff, yeah. the, the open working time of oils is just a lot easier because then I right. don't have to like like think about a gesture I want to make within like five minutes or within three right. minutes. Yeah. Well, and you, you use acrylic too. And I think the way that you make your sculpture it's also very intuitive. Like you take things away, you like add things. So I, over time, I've become less involved with planning. Yeah. I just kind of make parameters and then make things, and and that forces me to like make mistakes and try yeah. to be like, well, what the fuck am I going to do with this? Yeah. Which yeah. I appreciate because early on, I always felt like I was like, I'm going to make this, mm-hmm. and then I would like do all this planning, and then I mm-hmm. felt like I was a manufacturer for myself, yeah. like the yeah. like the actual. Um, Making was like anybody could do this. I yeah. could just tell someone to do this. So, so did that come out of grad school for you? That sort of like you know research, planning, and then making it. Do you think that process kind of came out of grad school? It did. Yeah. It did because I I got to the point where I did less and less planning and mm-hmm. more and more just being with the materials and the things and yeah. just making things and and most of it was just like. I don't want to say referential, but I would like think of a thing. Like I would think of, you know, those little lanterns like kids have in their room that show like scenes on the wall. So I would just like think of a thing Mm -hmm. and then I would try to make something that in my mind had some relationship to it. Not that a person would ever look at it and be like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's like that thing. So I would just kind of have a target and I would just make things. Mm -hmm. And then the longer I've gone, the more I've sort of built parameters that I have to kind of almost work sort of frantically within to kind of mm-hmm. quickly make decisions to m- remove less and less of that um, pre-planning. Yeah. Do you know, yeah. does that make sense? No, no, it does. I mean, I think it's just, I was asking about grad school because I feel like one of the things for me is I worked really conceptually outside of grad school. And, and part of that, maybe like you, was to really kind of research like my content and my form and have a really clear idea of like what the series was going to be, right? And then right. basically set out just making it, making right. the whole series and I felt like for some reason when I moved to North Carolina, like I was at this place in my work, I was like, I really wanted to respond to work sort of like a painter. Like, whereas like I didn't have, I could just want respond to the marks I was making fluidly work in and out of that. Right. And so that's when I like left really any kind of clear representation and figuration. Right. Um, and it really opened up, you know, my, the, my kind of the idea of creating a space and creating a painting. Right. I've said it before. I think your painting is incredible, and I and part of it is the way I think about your painting is like mm-hmm. there there are artists I see and I know what they're doing. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, oh well, that's real cool. I know I know what that guy's doing. I can't do it, mm-hmm. but I know what that person's doing. And when I see your work, I'm like, God damn it! I don't even know what she's doing. I don't even know how she's doing this. It drives me crazy. <laughs> so it almost makes me mad because <laughs> it's so in- incredible. 
but like to me when I look at them, mm-hmm. I think about I think about like what I said before, sort of mm-hmm. um the history of painting, particularly like Western painting yeah. and what we think about those things. Yeah. And you're working within it, but mm-hmm. you're also kind of fighting against it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't even know how you you kind of was that a slow process to get to that, mm-hmm. to become sort of aware of like I mean, did you always know like I'm working in this very sort of Western way and I want to work against it? Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, or, or did that over yeah. time you become more aware of like, yeah. oh, you know, I'm working in this history and yeah. how do I deal with that? It's a great question. And I think I'm going to have to talk it for a long time for you to understand if that's okay. I, I, um, I hope you would. So I think, you know, for me, when I, I mean, I have to go all the way back to when I, when I decided to become a painter in an undergraduate, because I think that, you know, what, what happens to a lot of refugees and immigrants is, you know, when they're growing up, and especially if you're not from the European heritage, and maybe from the European heritage too, but for me, it was this idea of like, okay, where, what is my identity, right? And so I think with a lot of of refugees and immigrants, maybe if they go to college, I mean, that's sort of like when you're not just under, like for me, the public school system where I learned like one U.S. history, I'm actually going and I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about the world, right, through these classes I took in college. And so at that time, I think one of the things that I really focused on was the idea of representation, mm-hmm. both in the media, you know, in film, in books, and just basically how the representation of people um, means so much. You know, I mean, at that point, I was really thinking about it in photography. I mean, photography is sort of like, um, especially when you see it in the media, right? It's like photography itself is sort of like this moment that is sort of like, in a way, kind of violent, right? Like you're Mm -hmm. taking this image of like another person, but then there's a clear decision of what context to put the representation of the person in. And of course, for for Vietnamese people, a lot of it's just around the war and around violence, right? right? And so I think that from the very get-go, when I became a painter, I was immersed in art history, like you're saying, and the canon of art history is Western, is thinking about how the representation of Asian people and also people of color is really clear. And it's very like, not as a protagonist, not through that lens. And so for me, you know, I fell in love. I I, I still love like, you know, Jan van Eyck. I love Jan van Eyck, you know. But and so like for him, you know, for that work, it's like the beauty of it, but also the canonized imagery and what that means. And so for a lot of my work, I'm interested in sort of like these ideas of heritage, mm-hmm. and they do come from canonical painting, you know. But then for me, they become like a, a framework of like kind of reinventing it, and like using it as a framework to respond to, but then creating my own framework within it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm taking it, but I'm not working within that narrow lens, right? right? I'm not just, you know, being suffocated by that narrow lens. I just want, I want to also talk about our experience now. So a lot of times that will refer to history, but... Um, but it won't. So, for instance, like out of grad school, I did um, work about um, about marriage, right, and about sort of the prejudices of of marriage with both, you know, with um, race and with people of the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. And so that was taking a Jan van Eyck, um, you know, and taking all of those gestures, those symbols, you know, um, but then omitting them and just showing people really unromanticized within the family. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, it you know, to me, it seems like it seemed like a really radical thing, but it was just like, I'm just presenting families. Like, I'm not even, right. you know, I'm just like, this is just a family and that's what they are. And like, you, you, no you, matter if the law says so or not. Like yeah. in, the, in the paintings, you're not even like given like a context or anything. They're, no. just, they're just there. Yeah. Well, it's, 
the names of the paintings are the family. So, right. for instance, I have one called the Diego Montana family. And so, like, it's just the name of the family. That's the name. Right. Yeah. You're just pre- sort of presenting them. Yeah, I'm just presenting them. And, and right. you know, and also when I show them, I also don't give it away. Like, so when there's child- young children involved, sometimes people just know what the relationship is. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when I'm presenting, like, all adults, like, for adults, like, they'll everyone will come to their own comfort. They'll interpret it based on their own comfort, you know, their comfortability within their own kind of cultural paradigm of what they believe. Right. Yeah. So the first things I saw in person were um, at the at a, the Carrick show. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say that's like yeah. three years ago. Yeah, that, I think that was. Oh, my God. And Warren... Warren helped. Warren helped you. Yeah, do you he know normally, that story? He normally is very unhelpful, but he helped you with that show, I believe, getting getting them upstairs and installed. Yeah, so I mean, it was so amazing. So I, I just have to give a shout out to Warren and and, and and everyone involved because so for me, like it was a big thing because that was my first show in North Carolina. Really, and I was so excited, and I remember I had asked someone like if. You know, it, it was in the Carrick's old location. I had these six by eight foot paintings if they could go up the stairwell. And the response was, of course, as I get there. And we'd try and they won't fit up. So mm. so Laura called Warren, I think Heather Gordon, I believe. To, and my husband, of course, Mark, who's also an artist, was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um we Warren came and discussed it with Mark and they decided that they had to break my stretcher bars. <laughs> That is terrible. In order to get up the stairs, you're terrible. Um, and it all worked out, but yes. So that was my my first show. That would I was just blown away and just. uh, Yeah. Damn it! They make me mad. They're so good. They're too good. Can you slow down and stop making those things so good? You're making me blush, but people can't see this radio. (laughs) No, I think I think, but but I think those works. Um, you know, talked about kind of what you were talking about before you know you're very aware of the paint you can think about things like um you know sort of painters painter type things you can see like gerhard richtery things does that scare you oh no i love so i can see like approaching something Mm -hmm. kind of like that but then there's this whole other the all these other layers of um imagery that kind of blends into dragons and, <laughs> and claw you know material yeah. textiles and all sorts yeah. of things how did you how did you even that. approach that yeah. well i think that you know i think a lot of my work you know as as a refugee and also american citizen has really been about kind of thinking about what it means to be an american right and so that work i think that the idea of being an american is really complicated is it <laughs> so complicated <laughs> for all of us right yeah. Um, and so for me, I really did want to talk about sort of like make these um, kind of historical paintings, but um, and to maybe talk about the idea of identity, but within, you know, an open way, because it's so like feeling like if I was to represent it through one person or through an actual figure, it would be limiting the way I wanted to talk about it. So at that time, I made sh- I wanted to completely get rid of the figure as in a representational sense. Mm-hmm. And for me, the gestures are a replacement for the figure, right? So the big gestures were both a replacement for the figure and also a way for me to just work through, like, the love of the medium. But mm-hmm. then through that, through the gesture, the, the, the gestures, the painted gestures are coming together and they're, like, erasing each other. They're assimilating together. And then I, I started using textile design because the worldwide textile trade is just, it's a history in itself of mm-hmm. the world. Like the history of trade, it's the history of power, it's the history of Orientalism and how we see um, 
you know, people from different parts of the world and how that has been used. I think textile designs are also, they're nonverbal, so they've been readily assimilated to kind of show status throughout history. But then, so I choose textile designs. Each of those are basically a historical narrative. Um, and the textile designs I'm choosing that adorn each gesture are ones from very particular countries and years to like oh. talk about that narrative. And so that's, you know, each, so there's how many paintings? There's quite a few paintings in that series, but they're each a narrative. And so I'm, you know, for me, I also wanted to do like a hybridity. A lot of that is a hybridity between um, Eastern and Western philosophies. So then, of course, we have abstract expressionism, which you can't get away from mm -hmm. um, if you're doing gesture as a painter. But then I was also thinking about the Asian philosophy of painting the kind of the, the the spirit of something, not like not, you know, going out and painting a landscape and observing about painting the spirit of it. And so for me, it was sort of like painting the the spirit of assimilation and the spirit of, you know, acculturation, right, which is what the gestures are doing to each other. Um, I may be crazy, but you're not planning that out. No, you're, not you're, at all. You're working yeah. as you're working. Yeah, yeah. And so I think the only thing I plan out before is um, that the, I have the textile designs I want to make. So maybe I have a red textile design from 1800s and, and one about the same era from a different part of the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the one thing I will say, though, that the background was also thinking about the, the um, Asian painting and Western painting. So it's sort of like this blend, and it was like thinking about the void of, you know, the void in um, Asian painting has been like this white space where you're just, it's like a, a space to think, Right. Mm -hmm. And then in um, in Western landscapes, you have like the horizon line. And so that was sort of like for me, like a merging of the two. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. In Asian works, there's like I mean, it looks like an empty space, but it's yeah. like an atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Does that make yeah. even make sense? No, it totally does. Well, and it's all about atmosphere because I think that that's I think that's right on, especially when you're thinking about like painting history right it's all about this kind of atmosphere that's created between the two right i think that was the first series where i'm starting to really kind of try to agitate like the lens right the historical lens of painting like trying to like really just bring these two styles of paintings together to kind of talk about that like right. agitating that that canonical lens from the western that makes history. sense yeah and that series was called remind me again musings of an origin musings of an origin yeah. and um the most recent things I've seen are in a way related to that, but they seem more complex. They are. Oh, my God. Yeah, they are. They're also, they're really labor intensive. Okay. So, you know, it, it's interesting because so what musings of an origin, I really, except for the textile designs, tried to leave any sort of representation, right? It was more about the gesture and how creating a narrative through abstraction, mm -hmm. right? For me, as a as an artist and painter, I also just wanted to have that experience of how to create a space myself, like when mm -hmm. without giving like a conceptual context or framework. But then I I now like I'm really starting to really bring in more representation because um, representation of landscape of imagery of people is really. You know, for me, that's really about sort of like the hierarchies of how things are represented in history, um, mm -hmm. how things, people, and objects are represented in history. So so they kind of take the same framework. And so the Musings of Origin, I'm sorry, one thing is that it, um, it did take Michel Foucault's idea of the heterotopia. And the heterotopia is the space that um, is, a, is a space that can hold like different spaces that are in conflict with one another. And so for mm -hmm. me, in the original series, you're talking about the Karak 
that's where I started using that. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm using the same thing now. So I'm, I'm creating a, a work called um, Mutiny in the Garden. Like that's my, my current series. Right. And it has that same um, framework, but now I'm using a lot more references. So there's landscapes. There's American landscapes that are painted in the Hudson River Valley. Right, and now you talk about Thomas Cole. Yeah, yeah. So that whole series is basically taking the idea. um, I'm working off of Thomas Cole's The Course of Empire, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is basically, for him, it was really about the rise and fall of the American empire from his lens. Right. Um, So Mutiny in the Garden, you know, for me, when when I think about America, you know, and, and almost I feel like when I became a citizen, right, I... I came from a place that was colonized to like almost like being a colonizer, you know. And so like the idea of land is so important to American history and Mm -hmm. also land use in the agrarian sense, right? Farming, taking from the land, oil, you know, Mm -hmm. cotton, slavery, you know, all that stuff. So um, within these new works, there are the landscapes that I think are both historical but also really important to the contemporary um, social and political situations. So there's mm-hmm. the Dakota Pipeline. There's, um, for instance, um, Monticello's in one of them. You mm-hmm. know, um, I have the Dismal Swamp in one of them, which is a place where both slaves and the Seminole Nation, you know, went and hid out and survived. Um, and so they're painted in the romantic Hudson River Valley um, kind of aesthetic. But then within that, I have gestures. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also taking and culling from Japanese war prints, you know, sort of that mm. aesthetic of Japanese war prints, too. So it's it's this whole narrative within the framework of just kind of really just clashing it all together, you right. know, all of these people together. And also that's, I think, where I'm really trying to agitate the dominant painting lens and what that yeah. means. So if, if you walk into a museum and you yeah. see a, a big Thomas Cole, yeah. what, what is your... Oh, I love him. I mean, like, him? again, you know, here, here's the thing. It's like what I'm finding in my practice, which is really odd, mm-hmm. is the paintings that I fell in love with and I still fall in love with aesthetically, right? And also mm-hmm. with the meaning, I'm, I'm using them because they are of a particular lens and framework. Right. And so with Thomas Cole, and Thomas Cole is actually a complicated one because he he was the founder of the Hudson River Valley School, right. but he was also like the most um, skeptical of Manifest Destiny. And like there was just, a, you know, there's a really good article in, in the New York Times about him. And, and I knew I was just in New York and I can't believe I didn't see the show. There just wasn't enough time, but he has a big show right now at the Met. But this really talks about like how, you know, for him, these works were sort of like, like reacting against um, President Jackson's presidency, you know, mm-hmm. and he was against, you know, um, really westward expansion, but in a very, uh, it was about conservatism, right? Like ecological, you know, conservation. Right. And he was a true, you know, um, he, I think, was very spiritually aligned with, with the natural world. And mm-hmm. I think his paintings are amazing. You know, I think for me, this becomes about the heritage of America that's just not spoken about and not given you know, um, like any kind of airtime to you, really. So like in this review of Thomas Cole's current show, nowhere in it does it talk about like the indigenous population, you know, that was affected by westward expansion. And for Cole, like he he doesn't, I think, mention it very much in his work either. Um, so, you know, so I think that 
that I fall in love with Tom. I mean, I love those works. I show those works all the time in my classes, you mm -hmm. know, of the Hester River Valley School. Right. But then I did talk about the concepts that, that they're created and, and how they were used in that time for westward expansion. Right. It's it's complicated because yeah. when I think of his work, I think of, I understand what yeah. you're getting at, but I yeah. also think of them as sort of big examples of this sort of very strict sort of framework and, uh -huh. and what we think is important. And yeah. I don't know, it, it just gets kind of complicated to me. Yeah. It also gets into like all that sublime type stuff. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is, which I don't see that in there. I think I'm supposed to, but I think they're good paintings. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're, they're great paintings. Well, and, and again, I think that one of the things, you know, one of the things I mentioned earlier is that, you know, like any kind of representation, photography or painting, right? It's like, you know, they're put into a context. And I think that what happened after Cole's death and also with his, you know, his peers is they kind they put it in the context of Manifest Destiny. So, right. so he was against it, but like the Hudson River, a lot, you know, I think some of the Hudson River Valley School painters were for it, right? Right. So, it feels like it's very much part of it. Exactly. To me. And, and I think it's unfortunate because it's like, I think for him, it sounds like he was really, he was really the most skeptical out of all of those painters. Like That's he was not for it, you know? Um, but for the the conservation aspect of it, which right. makes sense. I mean, he also came, I think, from England, and they were going through right. Industrial Revolution and everything. So. Sure. Yeah. Can we take a little break? Yeah, let's do it. All right, we'll be right back. Okay. Are you tired of people not listening to your endless rants about the multitude of trivial inconveniences you bravely endure on a daily basis? Maybe you can't afford a therapist. Does the inexplicable air turbulence in your office constantly blow important papers off your desk, needlessly forcing you to pick them up? Does your bedroom door mysteriously close when you aren't looking? Is it a ghost? Highly unlikely. How old are you? Six? Don't want to carry a gun? How do you play catch without a ball? Rocks. That's right. Rocks. Think about it. Rocks are the all-in-one solution for these and all of life's daily challenges. Why not? <laughs> We're not allowed to throw them at nerds and hipsters anymore. Might as well use them for something. You can talk about yourself to a rock for hours and days on end without it rudely rolling its eyes and fleeing for the exit. The weight of a fist-sized rock will easily prevent your papers from flying haphazardly around the office in winds up to 74 miles per hour potentially preventing tiny, painful cuts. Ouch. Rocks. Is there anything they can't do? You can find rocks pretty much everywhere for free. <laughs> Who has time for that? Or you can buy the perfect rock directly from us for only $19.99. You're welcome. Hurry while supplies last. Don't You Lie to Me is bravely sponsored by the National Museum of Art at Duke University, presenting the new three-channel video, Precarity, by British filmmaker and artist John Acumfra, about the mystical father of jazz, Buddy Bolden. In 2017, Acumfra won the UK's Artist Mundi Prize. For more information, visit nasher.duke.edu slash Acumfra. And also by 21C Museum Hotel Durham, in the heart of downtown Durham, a multi-venue contemporary art museum offering more than 10,000 square feet of art field exhibition and event space, a full-service boutique hotel with luxurious guest rooms. Explore their current exhibitions, 
Dine among thought-provoking works in the counting house restaurant or lounge in the original bank vault. Exhibitions rotate, as does their regular cultural programming, which means there's never a bad time to visit 21C and see something new. The galleries are free and open to the public 24-7, 365 days a year. Guided docent tours are offered every Wednesday and Friday at 5 p.m. For more information, visit 21cmuseumhotels.com slash Durham. Speaking of sponsors, you can become one by giving us a tax-exempt donation. No amount is too small. Or if you really love us, you can become a sustainer by pledging as little as $5 a month or as much as $5,000 a month. It's fast and easy. Go to DontYouLieToMe.com and click on the Sponsors page. You can also email us at dyltm.nc at gmail.com. Hey everybody, have y'all been out to the Vala Simpson Whirly Gig Park? It's located in Wilson, North Carolina, and you can see 30 of the largest works of Vallis's career. It's the official folk art of North Carolina. You can find out more at wilsonwhirligigpark.org. While you're online, don't forget to check out Warren's website at warrenhicks.com. And mine as well, that's jeff-bell.com. Are you tired of being bullied by your peers? Always being told you'll never be number one. No matter how successful or popular you become, do they make fun of your name? Welcome to the world of the number two pencil. That's right, people still use them. We're the Dignity Restoration via Name Change Council, or the Dignity Restoration by Name Change Council for short. Either one's fine. We don't really care. Enough is enough. We don't call winners losers. So why is the number one selling pencil in the world cursed with the name number two? It doesn't make sense. Number two is something your kid just did in his pants. Granted, he also does number one in his pants, which isn't cool either, but it doesn't cause emotional scarring. Bottom line, you shouldn't leave pencils lying around while changing diapers. It's just bad parenting. The number two pencil, it's number one. It has an eraser. And we're back. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks. Thank you for talking to us. Oh my God. Thank you. So uh, you're real important. You're in the North Carolina Museum <laughs> of Art collection. What's that all about? Well, I feel very lucky. I feel extremely honored to be in that collection. Yeah. That's super sweet. Yeah. And it's yeah. on view now. It is on view now. Yeah. It is on I view can go see this. Like, you can. What yeah. is it? It is, um, well, you know, it's actually from, I mean, you don't know what no, it is? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> I know my mind's like racing, right? It's like the weird like artist mind where you have all these unlinear connections in your mind. Um, it's the last piece of the Musings of an Origin series. And I was going to say that it was a significant piece in that series because it, it was it's called I Buffalo. And it's the closest thing to a um, self-portrait I've ever done. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I am born the year of the buffalo. And then I think for me, too, the buffalo was I, the, the eradication of the bison, American bison was a huge part of, I think, um, you know, manifest destiny, right? Mm -hmm. And so in that painting is also the first time I'm actually using a image of the Hudson River Valley School. So there's, uh, I replicated a portrait of Albert Beardstadt's Yosemite in there. Yeah, that so, guy could paint. Yeah, <laughs> I could paint. Oh, yeah. My painting is not like him. <laughs> I mean, sort of like mimics him a little bit. <laughs> 
<laughs> but but and so I'm I, on there. I have um, Lakota Sioux textile design and Southeast Asian textile design, mm. um, and then that imagery. So that's the painting that they bought, and it's um, it's hanging now in the, the West Building. And I just saw it, and I'm I feel so lucky and so honored to be part of that. That's super cool. Yeah. Now I asked you to tell me how to pronounce a name a minute ago, and yeah. I still don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> do you want me to do it? Yes, please. Well, okay, so I'm not a scholar of the Latin, you know, <laughs> of Latin, but I believe it's pronounced translatio imperi. Okay. And so you had uh, in uh, the little, what is the little space outside of Lump called? The little... Um, oh, yes, the um, gutter box gallery. The gutter box um, gallery. I um, saw one little, yes. ver one little painting from the series. Yeah, from the series. Uh -huh. Tell me what that's all about. Yeah. Well, first of all, I have to shout out to Lewis Watts, who, who? is the... <laughs> no, we love Lewis Watts. <laughs> Who's the founder of the Gutterbox Gallery. Mm -hmm. um, and thank you for him for inviting me. And it was like perfect because I actually don't work with miniatures normally. And we just had a conversation about it and how he was doing the Gutterbox 2.0. And he invited me and I was like, I just jumped on it. I'm like, I'm starting this series. And so um, did you ask me what it was about? I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you describe it? I mean, <laughs> Okay. So the works are, when you look at them, they look like a romantic landscape that's a bomb landscape painted in romantic style. And it takes the shapes of a brushstroke. And the rest of it is black on the outside. So it's like this window mm -hmm. um, in a brushstroke style. And then the, the, there's an ornate frame that is also painted black. And then it has a brass title card on it. Did they? Did you paint everything? I painted everything. You didn't like buy a little replica thing and paint them. Paint which part? Damn it! Like, <laughs> like the like, like the, the like you painted the landscape. Oh yeah, no, okay. I painted the landscape. It because I didn't at first. I was like, what am I looking at? Is this yeah, like yeah, a yeah. little, a little like yeah. series of things? Yeah. No. So basically, um, that work is about the succession of power through one through basically one dominant world power, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's um, God, when was, it's an antiquated term. And it's, it's basically the idea, in, in some ways, like I'm, I'm using it of how like power was, was transferred from the British Empire to America. Mm -hmm. But then how in America, um, after World War II, like so they bombed 33 countries and all of them except for Yugoslavia are all in Latin America, Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I painted it all. So I have gone through and really metic meticulously tried to find images of these bombings. Mm -hmm. um, and usually they're in black and white. And usually, you know, uh, they're not very good quality. I try to find the best quality. And I paint them in basically the Hudson River, like to the likeness of a Hudson River Valley style. Right. Yeah. And then. Um, do you paint the whole thing and then do the black? And then do the black brushstroke. I did for the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, then I realized, wow, this is like, I don't need to be doing all of this. Um, I am going to do at least 30. But the, the brushstroke, should I talk about the brushstroke a little oh, bit? Oh, hell yes. The shape of the brushstroke is referring to um, Lickenstein's brushstroke series, which, mm -hmm. of course, he was a pop artist. And that series was a nod to abstract expressionism. So the work is all about like the white male lineage of world of you know, U.S. power, right. and, and, and um, especially the military dominance. But, but so, at the no. same time, the, that dominance in art history. Yes, it is. Right. Yes, totally. Yeah, it's all about that. Mm -hmm. So it's really about, like, the that lineage and that lens as it pertains to both American military history and the traditional American painting history, right? Mm -hmm. So 
anyways, back to your question. So now I am definitely not painting the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm like painting mostly just, you know, a little bit outside of the brushstroke shape. And then, right. and then, but still, you know, going in a little bit with the black. Right. And then also the frame is painted black. So that's a reference to sort of like the, the French gilded frames, you know, mm -hmm. which was like this halo of importance, like these important scenes, right? right? So it's all blackened out. And I'm also interested in it sort of like almost like a calligraphic ink marks, like right. how everything else is erased except for this one window. Mm. And then the brass is basically you know, a, a reference to these historical paintings. So, but it's the name of each country that's bombed and then the year of the bombing mm. uh, of the image that I'm getting. And so is the idea to show all these together? Yes, um, it is. So right now, five of them are in a show at the Station Museum of Contemporary Art. And it's a show with Hong Wan and my painting, um, Hung Ngo, who are both friends of mine. Um, Hung Lu is my painting mentor from grad school. And there's a lot of, you know, amazing artists. Mel Chin is in it. Um, there's not a whole lot. There's like maybe like 10 or 11 artists in mm. it. But there is an Asian-American um, show basically, you know, in reference to like our, our um, to the privilege and power and, and what we've had to deal with at being Asian-American in this country. Right. But so five of them are up right now in that show. And then in October, I'm having a solo show at Gallery Gwyn, which is a gallery that represents my work in, in Ho Chi Minh City. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to be showing hopefully almost all of those. Wow. And also the Mutiny in the Garden series, too. Well, All I want, five of them. Can you get me a ticket to that? <laughs> I could barely get myself a ticket to that. I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're going, right? Of course I'm going. Do you, yeah. go, do you go there very often? Um, I, I really only go there when I have a show. You really? know, I mean, because it's just so expensive. I mean, do you have yeah. family there? I do, you know, but I mean, I do. And when I do go, I do see family, you know, mm -hmm. which is great. But I'm also working. But like the art is the most time. important thing. Is that yeah. what you're telling me? Yeah. More yeah. important than family. More important than family. <laughs> <laughs> I love my family, but I also have a lot of family here. My closest but, family is here. <laughs> Tell me the dates for that show. That's going to be, I believe, October 19th through November 24th. Ooh, you're smart. You remember all these things. I can't remember anything. I don't know about that. I just had to, I just updated my website. So are you still working on the little ones? Oh, yeah. Oh, how, there's so how many, many. How many have you got? I have, I only have five. I mean, I have to make a lot more. Oh, my goodness. What are you doing talking to us? You should be painting those things. I know, I know. All right, yeah. I want you to tell me about your family. About my family? I want to hear about Mr. Mark and Mr. Nico. Okay. Mark didn't give me the, the clearing, but I'll talk about him. <laughs> so Mark I will and I, talk about him. I love that guy. Oh, he is so awesome. And I like little Nico. He's oh, I the know. coolest. I'm so lucky. Okay, so Mark and I met in the printmaking lab in undergrad. So this, we're going on our 20-year anniversary of being together. Oh, that's romantic. Can you believe that shit? Wow. Making prints. What kind of prints were you making? <laughs> what was lithography. Yeah. Oh. And he had a ponytail, and he was a skater, and he just, like, was very mysterious. You know, oh, like, man, I want to date that dark guy. dark-haired skater. I mean, <laughs> Want my heart over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, so he's amazing. He's also an artist. He mm -hmm. has a studio at our house. He's been making really interesting works. Mm -hmm. He has over a year, he's been collecting Christmas trees from the from different streets. And he's making this really interesting sculpture with them. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting is both of our works. He has a great website, Mark Allen Soderstrom. Both of our works are about belief systems but in very different ways. So he also works with belief systems. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then we have an adorable, almost eight-year-old boy named Nico, mm -hmm. who probably will not become an artist, given his lineage. 
because y'all will fight against that or because he's like, <laughs> no, why would I want to be like these exactly. people? I mean, who knows? We have high hopes. You right. know, we also want we also want a retirement plan. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to get him in the med school or something. I mean, goodness gracious. I know. But, you know, I don't know if he has it in him. He's he has some artist markings on him, but who knows? Does he's he like doing stuff? Off. You know, um, this is an interesting thing. I, he, he does. But I think because my studio is outside of the home now, mm-hmm. I don't think he loves painting because painting is also what takes me away from him. Right. Right. So in the future, I would love, I mean, my dream is to have a studio at home. Do you use your studio at school? All the time. That's the only, I mean. I say that, but I've been yeah. in there, so I know that you do. But I Yeah, just like, yeah, no, but like that's where I have to work 90% of the time. The great thing about these Translatio and Perry miniature paintings is I do make them at home. Oh, they're little I enough. Can. They're four by six inches. Right. They're tiny. So, and I don't I know actually, why everyone doesn't just work like that. I mean. <laughs> I know. It makes it so easy. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. the big ones, you, you've made some big ones with the last series. Yeah. I've, I, you know, I think six by eight feet is my comfort. Like, I don't know. If, I've never gone bigger than that. I don't know if I will. That, like, I that like scares that. the hell out of me. Does it? For a yeah. painting, well, it does. Well, it sucks because you, like, I, if, I, if I want to move it myself, I have to rent a U-Haul, right? So that kind of sucks about it. <laughs> but, and you make your own crazy brushes. You well, I wouldn't say screw I make together them. brushes I and th- compose brushes. So I think you're talking about so, yeah. So I was talking to Donald Martini, who's a mm-hmm. friend of you know Mark and I. He's amazing, right? So I, you know, I'm trying because he makes these gigantic brushstroke paintings, which are amazing. So I was talking to him because, as you know, brushes are expensive. Uh-huh. And so like I, I was like, how do I make like a two foot brush or or something close to that? And I couldn't find anything. And so finally. What was the brand? Is it create? I think Creative Mark. Creative Marks makes an eight-inch wide brush, mm-hmm. and I finally got two of them. And I just got some brackets from the hardware <laughs> store and I put it together. So then I have a sixteen-inch brush, which is great. How does that work? It's good. So I'm realizing. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's very physical. I bet. You know, I'm well. I'm just gonna say it. I'm five feet tall, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm not very big. But so I basically, when I work in these gigantic paintings, I basically am like dancing where right? I have to like jump up and hop and do all these crazy things in order right. to get these gestures um, where I want them, you know? And yeah, so it's... That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. You got to have a big palette. I do have. I have several palettes at a time. I want to see this happen in person. Well, would I'm not you a let, performance would, artist. Would, I'm not saying I'm going to record it. I just want to look at it. <laughs> I, I bet you could get... I bet you could come sometime. You think? Yeah. yeah think Don't so. let Warren go. Okay. I'll tell. I'll just tell him about it afterwards. I appreciate you talking to us. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me. I'm even more of a fan now. Oh my goodness. Well, will, I, will I've you been, sign a, an I've been a fan of me? your of your podcast for a long time. You have. I have from He's, the very she's, beginning. She's, she's never even. And listened also to just it. of you two for a long time. You mentioned Mark's website. Oh, yes. Of course. So We Mark's, love you, Mark. What's your we web love you, address? Mark. Okay, Mark, I'm going to be Mark. Okay. Okay, you, you see the dark ponytail? <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay. It's, should I spell it out? Yeah. Okay, it's M-A-R-K-A-L-L-E-N-S-O-D-E-R-S-T-R-O-M. Dot com? I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> that's his full name. That is his yeah, full name. Right. You're it's good. <laughs> thank you, Leanne. Yeah, thank you. Will you come back and tell us more when you've got more things going on? Because you don't have much going on right now. <laughs> <laughs>
Whenever you invite me, I will be here. I love you you guys that much. You're a painting angel. Thank you. Thank you. Are you tired of using those trendy dry erase boards? We thought so. Maybe it's time to reacquaint yourself with chalk. It's not just for outlining dead bodies anymore. You can write words or even sentences. You can draw pie charts or pie equations, even pie recipes. Oh, and you could take it a step further too. You can draw pictures of your freshly baked pies. Chalk, that's right, chalk. Ever try to draw on a sidewalk with a dry erase marker? It doesn't work. Hey, dry erase markers, it's chalk calling. Eat our dust. If you don't hate what you hear, please tell your friends, family, and random strangers on the street to listen as well. Also, please consider helping us out by subscribing on iTunes, writing a brief comment, and by giving us a rating, preferably a good one. All of these things go a long way towards helping us climb the charts, which also helps us gain non-fake sponsors. You guys are amazing. Don't You Lie to Me is physically sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c nonprofit creativity incubator. You can find out more about them at vaeraleigh.com. We'd also like to thank Matt McMichaels for the use of his studio, Trusty Woods. Our theme song was written by our own Warren Hicks, and our logo design was created by Artsy Martha. Don't forget to check out our website at don'tyoulietome.com. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and tell your friends and family to listen as well.